Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of DQ with Damani. I am your host, Damani Mater, and I'm excited to deliver you beautiful people the best news combat sports has to offer. This week has been full of ups and downs within the world of boxing, but I'd like to take some time out this week to discuss the recent happenings within the MMA sphere with you all. I'm sure a portion of my MMA audience has been waiting a long time for this episode. Make sure you've got yourself some hydration because this episode is going to get spicy. As a participant in combat sport, I feel very strongly about how other fighters are treated. On social media, a lot of people have taken note of what's going down in our sister sport, mixed martial arts, or just MMA as most people like to call it. Whether you're a fan of Cage Warriors, One Championship, Bellator, LFA, or even the PFL, you have to acknowledge the fact that the UFC has the biggest name in the sport right now. There are some solid contenders worldwide, but the biggest name, the UFC, is generally seen as the premier promotion when the topic of mixed martial arts is on the table. To make it in the UFC is seen as one of the biggest accomplishments of an athlete's career in combat sports, and to win the UFC championship in a given division is a massive milestone. However, when it comes to monetary value, it's all about that money, things don't quite add up. The math certainly is not mathing. Keep in mind, I'm not bad-mouthing the promotion for all my UFC bootlickers. I am not bad-mouthing them. But this is just me viewing things from the outside. I can speak personally for how we are paid in the boxing world. And generally, if you're signed to a specific promotion, you are given a contract with a set number of fights. We get paid a bonus if we're a big name, mostly because of the promotional value we bring, which includes fans, potential sponsorships from exterior businesses, and higher viewership if the events are streamed. In each of those fights on your contract, a condition within it is that you are paid based on whether or not you make weight. If you don't make weight, you automatically forfeit a percentage of your purse to your opponent. After successfully making weight, getting in through the first fight day, and receiving your money, there are subtractions to your pay. In the last time out in Maryland, we gave up 30% to the manager, 24% to the promoter, and 10% to the gym. All of this happens before the pay is taxed, which can or can't be a big hit depending on what state you fight in. However, if you pay your staff, it becomes tax deductible. All of this is exactly why a lot of people say that chasing boxing as a career full-time before you make it big isn't all that smart unless you have heavy financial support. Only the top 2%, let me reiterate that, 2% of boxers make 96% of all the promotional prize money, which happens for a variety of reasons. A lot of us only make anywhere from $500 to $2,500 a fight, which forces more fights in a year to make ends meet. Now, I want to translate to you all of what I just said into the mixed martial arts model of pay, but this gets a whole lot worse. In the UFC specifically, pay is divided into three separate tiers or contracts that you can earn based upon whether or not you are a champion, contender, or an unranked fighter. These contracts also have a set number of fights on them, and the UFC can either choose to renew your contract and offer you a new one after your final fight on it, or let your current one expire and release you back into free agency. The first tier, champions, can also apply to superstars. People like John Jones, Conor McGregor, and Nate Diaz before he left the company all fall into this category. They can make anywhere between 600000 to $5.1 million, which also accounts for the monster energy sponsorships that can be applied, depending on whether or not the fighter is signed to them at the moment. The second tier, contenders, 
generally make anywhere between $50,000 and $100,000, which is heavily dependent upon their fan base. Small-time contenders won't make much, but big contenders such as Paulo Costa make six figures, and even that can change depending on the opponent. The last year, unranked fighters make the least amount of money. Unranked fighters pull about $10,100 from the company, which can increase to $30,000 at base depending on the name. All three tiers can factor in a $50,000 performance of the night bonus, which is decided upon internally by the UFC. The UFC has a history of using the performance of the night bonus in a negative light though. Bryce Mitchell and Al Iaquina are perfect examples of this. Iaquina, a very well-known legend in the fight game, especially in New York City, had two separate contractual spats with the UFC over his fight of the night bonus and his contract in general. Once in 2014 and another in 2016, the lightweight warrior was very outspoken about the UFC failing to meet his needs when it came to his pay. This isn't surprising at all. He exposed the UFC for purposely withholding his fight of the night bonus for a ridiculous three fights, which can make or break as a fighter, depending on where you train. Promotions like the UFC don't realize that a camp for a fight is also a massive expense, regardless of whether you pay the gym weekly like I do, or pay them in one lump sum for the camp after your fight. It hurts when you don't have large sums of money to dish out, and it hurts worse when you have to tell your gym that you won't have the money soon. It's almost like being at the mercy of a debt collector, a loan shark, and sometimes people get forced out of gyms completely for not being able to pay them back. Bryce Mitchell, aka Thug Nasty, has a similar backstory. Thug Nasty is one of my favorite fighters ever, and the fact that he himself has come out publicly and said he only has $2,000 in his bank account at the period of time between his fight against Edson Barbosa and Ilya Topuria is ridiculous. To quote Bryce, I wouldn't say I was forced to take the fight because of money. I certainly wouldn't have starved to death, but I didn't want to live until February on $2,000. To say that money wasn't one of the reasons that I took the fight in December at all would be a lie. I was sure I was going to win, and I was already expecting a victory bonus. End quote. Bryce also admitted that he forced himself to fight with the flu, which just puts it to perspective just how desperate he was to get funds. There are plenty more stories of fighters in the UFC struggling to make ends meet because of exterior expenses, which also contributes to the point that I'm making here about the lack of a safety net for fighters across the board. All of this brings me to the baddest man on the planet, the predator, Francis Ngannou. If you know me personally, you know that I've been a fan of the three African kings for quite a long time. I've followed Adesanya's career since he was kickboxing in China. I followed Kamaru Usman since his earlier fights before the Nigerian nightmare became a household name. And for Francis, my love and support of his career is the exact same. It hurts me badly to see how Francis has been treated this past year and a half. After his highlight reel finish of Stipe Miocic, John Jones' name was on the radar immediately. Jones had been preparing for a move to heavyweight for months already and made it publicly known through Instagram posts that this was a work in progress. The only issue getting the fight done rested with Francis and the internal workings of the UFC. Johnny Bones released several tweets expressing that he wanted to fight Francis, and throughout 2021, Jones continued to make this known, even going as far as to talk down Adesanya on Twitter. Once again, the issue getting the fight done rested with Francis and the UFC. Then, suddenly, the top brass at the UFC decided to disrespect Francis completely by making an interim heavyweight championship fight during the summer of 2021. 
which the public very vocally disagreed with, myself included. There was absolutely no reason to have an interim champion when Francis was capable of defending his belt and did so shortly before the interim fight was announced by the UFC, which seemed to come from disputes between Francis, his manager, and the offices of the UFC. In fact, it was ridiculously hypocritical because when Francis asked the UFC for his own interim title fight against Jarzinho, Biggie Boy Rosenstruck, the UFC shut him down completely. Absolutely makes no sense to me. In this case, however, Francis was completely justified in demanding this interim title fight because Stipe didn't defend his belt for a little over a year. He had a trilogy fight. The last two fights, August 2019, fought again August 2020 against DC, won both fights. Directly after this, this man went and MIA, he disappeared. He was gone. He was gone. Healthcare is another major issue in the combat sports world. As we all know, members of the USA boxing organization receive medical insurance, but outside of that, it becomes fairly questionable. In MMA, fighters are seen as independent contractors, which eliminates the chances for in-house healthcare, other than the ringside physicians afforded to them during contests. Francis Ngannou was fairly outspoken about this, and today on Ariel Helwani's MMA Hour, he said that this was in his contractual demands that resulted in him ultimately walking away from the UFC and dropping his UFC heavyweight championship back into the depths of the heavyweight division. He specifically asked for fighter health care, sponsorships, and an advocate for fighters, which would begin the stages of unionization within the UFC. The UFC naturally immediately declined, showing just how desperate they are to maintain control over their fighters, assets, and internal affairs as a whole. It's so sad to see Francis go out this way, but he sees himself as a necessary sacrifice in the battle for fair treatment, payment, and health inspection as a fighter. My heart will always lie in boxing, but I do have much love and appreciation for the MMA guys. For a time, I thought that I could chase a career in MMA, but after a lot of protesting and back and forth with my younger brother, I decided to just stick to boxing. Which is more dangerous is a heavy debate that I personally don't feel like getting into on this episode, but regardless of what people say on the internet, no one in MMA, especially Francis Ngannou, is afraid to fight anyone. That assumption is just absurd. These brave men and women put their lives on the line just like we do to make a dollar. So the disrespect and abuse that Francis has been receiving online is completely unwarranted. I don't know why people feel it's cool to go online and say things that they would never say to a fighter face to face but the comfort of a screen keeps people safe it gives them a sense of security that they don't have in real life i know i wouldn't trash talk these guys unless they deserved it and even then i still know i got enough skill to back my chat remember the guys in the boxing ring in the octagon are not your playthings. these guys are not gladiators for you to treat like garbage for your personal enjoyment these guys are human beings they experience pain just like us they make sacrifices just like the average person would at a higher level. So as a normal civilian, you'll never be able to, to understand what these guys are going through unless you're experiencing it yourself. Big shout out to Francis Ngannou for standing up and reminding the world that fighters are humans too. While this episode may not have been boxing focused, I do want to remind everybody that this weekend on Saturday, January 21st, that next-gen Chris Eubank Jr. is taking on Liam Smith at super middleweight. 
The very first episode of the podcast focused on his previously scheduled opponent, Connor Ben, failing a drug test. After a huge media blunder, Ubeck Jr. found a way to spin things in his favor and land a massive fight against Liam Smith, who I believe is a worthy challenger. Ubeck Jr. still has further title aspirations after winning the IBO Super Middleweight Championship against Quinlan in 2017. He has resumed his chase for more gold. I believe Chris has more than enough talent to get to the top of the division, whether it takes a Canelo fight or not. He is very deserving of a shot against the best, and Liam Smith is an excellent test of his skills, as well as a showcase for those who have forgotten just how great he is in the ring. After being trained by the legendary Roy Jones Jr., Eubank decided to move back home to Brighton and begin camp, which became extended due to the postponement and eventual cancellation of his catchweight matchup against Conor Ben. And now, here's everybody's favorite part, the breakdown. Ubeck Jr.'s fighting style is unique because it requires great stamina and breath control. He's able to throw five punch combinations off of a single horizontal step, jumping in with a lead foot with a solid guard to limit the amount of space between himself and his opponent. Naturally, this also forces a, a reaction from his opponents, which raises their hands up to shell up and protect from ensuing attacks. Of course, Ubeck Jr.'s style makes his fights a perpetual guessing game between himself and his opponent, drawing them out so that they can create future scenarios that negatively affect them but benefit Eubank and leave his opponent exposed. Just for example, in his fight against Avni Yildrim, Eubank Jr. was able to unload a rapid succession of power shots with excellent precision. Each time Yildrim was hit, he covered up, but Eubank Jr. took advantage of the gaps in his guard to brutally finish him in the second round. It was a massive success for Eubank, and although he lost his next fight against George Groves, he still rallied back to an impressive six-fight winning streak, which he currently still has. In his last outing against Liam Williams, Eubank Jr. displayed an excellent jab, managing space like a matador against a bull. Williams was clearly frustrated with the fact that he couldn't get inside. He held Eubank in a headlock at several points during the contest, which I believe he should have been deducted points for, but of course he was at home, so... Eubank was bound to fall to situations like this, biased refereeing, biased judges, and even biased commentary. In fact, Williams spent a lot of the night clinching, holding on for dear life because he knew he'd get hurt badly by Eubank's ranged attack. In embarrassing fashion, he was knocked down cleanly by Eubank's impressive jab in the first and second round. Controlling the space and exercising patience is a common theme in Eubank's latest fights, but he can turn up the heat at any given moment if the occasion calls for it. Once again, we have reached the end of another wonderful episode of DQ with Damani. As I mentioned earlier, there's a big card with Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith as the main event, with Richard Riafork taking on Christoph Gognowski on the undercard. With Chris Congo in the co-main fighting for a WBC Silver and IBF European Championship at welterweight. Aside from this action-packed card, please support all of your local fighters. I say this every week. Get out there and buy those tickets. Thank you so much for choosing the DQ with Demonte podcast for your source of weekly combat sports news and lifestyle. The weather has been crazy all over the country, flooding out west, ridiculous fog in the east, so everyone please be safe on the road. See you next week for a full review of the Eubank Jr. match. God bless and be easy.